You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Cheeseheads. Cheeseheads. Get on your feet. It's Curd and Law. Hosted by Sparky Fighter and Ryan Horvath. A.T. Sparky Fiber, 1250 AM, The Fan in beautiful, lovely Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that actually is kind of cold today in the 60s. And it was, woke up, it was in the 50s, actually wearing a, a new Brewers jacket I got from my buddy Jake. Uh, Jason Hershorn, B, Jason B. Hershorn, I better get it right. Uh, follow him on Twitter at by underscore JBH. You guys have heard me interview him numerous times on 1250 AM, The Fan, PFW. Uh, member uh, and co-founder of the Leap Newsletter. Uh, and they do a great job over there. Tell everybody before we get started here about the Jonathan Taylor rumors and the 53-man roster decision, uh, how people can get the Leap Newsletter and what it's all about. It's super easy. You just go to theleap.football. That's the URL, theleap.football. It's a newsletter I do with Peter Bukowski. We cover the Packers from an angle that I don't think anyone else on the beat does. So check us out. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great newsletter, and it, it'll make you think. May make you yell at either one of these two at a given point in time. But either way, we'll you will be you'll you'll be engaged either way. I promise you, uh, you won't put it on. And go, oh, that was nice, and walk away. That's not going to happen. Uh, okay, so let, let's talk a little bit about the Jonathan Taylor rumor. As we're recording this uh, on Wednesday, just past noon Central Time, uh, we are. Well, I was all excited when I saw the report earlier from Field Yates about the Packers being the other team outside of the Dolphins that were interested uh, in Jonathan Taylor uh, going up to the self-imposed Tuesday deadline that the Colts put out there. Remember, the deadline's not till the end of October, technically for the trade deadline, uh, but either way. Uh, and then they put Jonathan Taylor, obviously, on the pup list, so he's out four games. Now there's some talk about... Uh, they may uh, go after Jonathan Taylor or something like that because they don't think he's hurt now. It's getting really, really ugly in Indy. Either way, there was a report the Packers were involved. I got all excited. Ooh, okay. And I- I'm going to tell you right now, prior to the Ryan Wood report from the Green Bay Press uh, Gazette, who said that his sources say it was simply a Packer scout talking to somebody in the Colts, uh, and that's how the story kind of blew up. That is what it is. But when I saw the initial report, I was like, it's actually kind of makes sense for two reasons. One, they're going to have to have money to pay him. Nobody's paying him $16 million. So I don't know what the number is going to be he eventually gets, but I doubt it's $16 million a year, which is what Taylor wants. But Jones took a pay cut essentially to stay this year. So it would make sense that they walked away from Aaron Jones this year. I think everybody expects him to walk away from David Bakhtiari this year uh, in the offseason as well. You have a quarterback that even if he has a good year and gets an extension, still isn't going to be making $50 million a year like the previous guy. So you don't have to worry about paying a ton of money for your quarterback. So you can justify, you know, in two or three years, having that pay increase for your running back position to have Jonathan Taylor be one of those guys. And if you give him a three, four year deal, 
mean, I, I, it makes sense. He's 24. Does he have a lot of wear and tear from Wisconsin? Sure. Does he have a lot of wear and tear from 2021 when he had like 332 carries? Absolutely. Would I have loved that deal with him and Aaron Jones for this year alone, even once he comes off this pup list? Yeah, that would have been unbelievable. And I've got another angle on this, but let's stop there. So when you saw the report, Jason Hershorn, what was your immediate reaction? That an agent put this out there because that's really the only plausible explanation. Now, we know that the Packers had some conversation with the Colts, but I also very much want to emphasize that by itself does not mean very much. Remember, if you want to go back, I think almost a decade at this point, the Packers, via one of their lower level front office people, reached out about Daryl uh, or Daryl Rivas, and right. that didn't materialize anything either. They do these kind of things on the regular because there's no harm in talking. You haven't sacrificed anything. And if it turns out that the player you're talking about is available for way less than you think, okay, well then maybe you can proceed, but it's really just, you know, a fishing expedition or expedition up until that point. Now it comes time to really dismantle these, the proposed logic of such a deal. If you are a team, not necessarily the Packers, any team that trades for Jonathan Taylor You are paying a godfather price because the Colts do not want to actually trade him. That was never their intention. They didn't want to extend him, at least not right now, but they don't actually want to trade him. That's why they have such a cost prohibitive uh, attachment to him. You know, no team's giving up a first round pick for him. And they know that that's why they're asking for it, because this way they can say we dangled Jonathan Taylor out there without actually having to deal with the consequences. You know, there is another report. That when their conversations with Miami Dolphins, they were looking for Jalen Waddle and more. Guess what? Jalen Waddle in a vacuum is just a more valuable player than Jonathan Taylor. And if you're looking for Waddle and more, you're not actually seriously engaging with the trade market, which again reinforces the, the notion that the Colts don't actually want to move on from Jonathan Taylor, at least not right now. Now you come back to the Packers. If you're trading for Taylor, hypothetically, You've already given up any real negotiating leverage that you have. Once you've traded a real asset for him or assets for him, he can realistically ask for the star and the moon and everything. Like $16 million or whatever he's asking for for running back no longer becomes unreasonable when you've already made that step. And you can't really negotiate all of that in advance. This is a quickly moving situation. So I I don't agree with the notion that it wouldn't cost very much. Also don't agree with the notion that it really helps that team much this year, even let alone down the line. Like, Taylor is someone who has already dealt with injuries. He missed a lot of time last year. He's been dinged up in the past. You look by comparison to Aaron Jones, not that he's going to be healthy forever, but he's averaged one missed game over the last four years. That is just a significantly better track record with health than Jonathan Taylor. And and Taylor is in a vacuum, a better player, but is he a better pass catcher? Is he going to transform the offense in some way that in this year matters? I would argue very strongly no. And looking long term, yeah, you know, Aaron Jones is going to turn 30 in the not too distant future. And that's a concern for him long term. But the Packers have other ways of replacing him. You know, they can draft another running back. They can re-sign A.G. Dillon if they want to. They can do multiple things, all at a cost less than it would take to acquire Jonathan Taylor, let alone the extension you would have to give him after trading for him. So you combine all those things and that deal does not really make sense. Again, reaching out to the Colts, that doesn't really hurt you. I wouldn't view that by itself as automatically serious interest. And I think that's what that Ryan Wood report kind of reinforced. Right. The Packers are willing to talk to teams about almost anybody. And that's true for a lot of other clubs as well. But it doesn't really mean that much. And in the situation with Jonathan Taylor and the Colts, 
this seems, I don't know this for a fact, but this seems like an agent trying to drum up an interest in teams that, you know, may have talked about Taylor, but may not have been willing to really push all in for him to do so if they think another team, another player is a part of this. I I ultimately view this as really just kind of a non-story. Okay, so my follow-up to this is, so now what about the locker room? What now about Aaron Jones? Because that's what this is. To me, if I'm Aaron Jones, this is like, okay, they're trying to get my replacement. I worked out all offseason with Jordan Love being the good soldier, having this dude's back the whole time through this whole mess with Rodgers and everything else going on, take a pay cut essentially to stay here and play for these dudes, and they're out hunting for my replacement here kind of going forward. I I just wonder how he takes it and how that locker room takes it when they see that report come out, and then it's going to be, you know – do you buy the field Yates side of it? Do you buy the Ryan Wood side where it was just a scout? There's nothing to see here. Move on. Because I don't look to be to be fair, are there trust issues between that that locker room and Brian Goodenkins to begin with? Maybe, could be. I mean, we've heard from several players now, most of them are old, uh, that have had their issues with Goody in the past. I just wonder how this plays out now in that locker room. I think it's worth pointing out here that most players. And the representation, especially as that player enters, let's say, the back half of their career, tend to have some trust issues with the front office in question. I don't mean the Packers alone. That's true across the league. And Aaron Jones is not a dummy. He knows what's going on. I don't mean specifically with Jonathan Taylor, just in general. You know, he's going to turn 30 in the not-too-distant future. He has really one year left on his deal after 2023. There are technically more seasons on that deal, but they're void years. 2024 is the last real year of that deal. He knows, independent of anything that the Packers try to do right now, even any like conversations they have, that it's a year-to-year proposition for him in Green Bay anyway. So I don't actually know how much this changes for him because it's not new information. He knew that this could realistically be the final year for him in Green Bay. He knew that the Packers, in some way, shape, or form, were going to seriously consider replacing him between now and the start of the 2024 season. doesn't necessarily mean that's going to happen, right? Like Aaron Jones could play the final year or some version of the final year of, of his deal in Green Bay, but these were always going to be conversations that the team was going to have. And again, Jones knows this. He's been in this business for a while. This is not new information. So does the locker room hear about this? Yeah. You know, they have phones. They're on the internet. They, they know at least to some degree what is going on. I don't actually know how much this really matters because, you know, at this time, two weeks from now, is anyone talking about a Jonathan Taylor report, assuming that no trade actually transpires? Or are they talking about what happened in week one? The news cycle is such that this will get moved on from unless there's actual forward momentum. And right now, it doesn't seem like there's any of that. Let's go to what you just said. 30 years old, right? Uh, Nathan Janke of Pro Football Focus uh, tweeted this out yesterday. Uh, here are the halfbacks in the NFL currently over 30 years old as we start right now. Amir Abdullah with the Raiders, 30.2. Jarek McKinnon of the Chiefs, 31 and a half. Raheem Oster, 31 and a half. Cordero Patterson, 32 and a half. Brandon Bolden, 33 and a half. Latavius Murray, 33 and a half. None of those guys are difference makers at this point uh, as far as the age of 30 and so forth. So what then is the next play for Aaron Jones and his representation looking at – he's better than all of those guys. That, that's not even up for debate. He's better than mm-hmm. all of them. But as you get closer to 30, is the play to go to the Packers and go, hey, look, I'll play for less than what we just had this last deal. If you extend me another two years past next year or whatever else, and essentially up with a three-year deal, like, do you go forward and essentially negotiate a pay cut to stay in Green Bay for another two or three years? 
or do you risk going to the open market where based on what I'm looking at right now is, is not sunshine and rainbows currently for running backs over 30. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're right. And you look at the other running back situations that transpired this offseason. You know, Dalvin Cook gets released. You know, Josh Jacobs technically did sign a new deal, but it was a one year deal, essentially a replacement for the franchise tag. Like his market is not particularly robust. Austin Eckler, he wants a new deal. He wants mm-hmm. out. He's still stuck with the Chargers. Yeah. So if you're a running back, especially one that's over 25, and especially, especially if you're one that's approaching or at 30, you do not want to be on the open market. Now, Aaron Jones and his representation already did this once, right? Like going into this offseason, going to this season, rather, they took a pay cut, not a huge pay cut, but one that is significant to stay with Green Bay. It is entirely possible that that situation transpires again next offseason. You know, if Aaron Jones has another decent year, looks like he can still, you know, put up a, a decent set of numbers, especially in a not a reserve role, obviously, but in a situation where he's not carrying the ball 300 plus times, he's not even getting 300 plus touches. That doesn't seem unreasonable. And that works out well for the Packers. If that happens, that works out well for Jones. It's too early to know if that's going to transpire, but those are things that the team and the player can consider, you know, six months plus from now, Aaron Jones is not worried about that at the moment because he has no real agency over this, right? Like, if the Packers decide to cut him tomorrow, he can't stop them. Not saying they're going to do it. It's more right. of just he can only control what's ahead of him. And right now that means putting together the best possible 2023 season because whatever deal Aaron Jones signs after this, whether it's with Green Bay or another team, it's a de facto one-year deal no matter how many years are on it. Like if the Packers were to, per your suggestion, sign him to a three-year deal, and those years aren't like void years, it's still really a one-year deal with team options after that. Like that's right. just the reality of – pretty much any running back, but especially one who's going to be 30 come December. So that that's just it. Like Aaron Jones only has the ability to play the best football he can. And I I honestly don't think that's going to be too much of a problem for him. Like, yeah, he's 29 right now. And that's something that is a concern for any running back, but look at him of late. He's been mostly healthy. Even, Even when he's been dinged up, he's managed to play. He's been productive. Last year was an example of that. And he doesn't have to carry the full workload in Green Bay. A.J. Dillon is there. They actually kept a third running back in the initial 53-man roster. I don't know how much that means Emmanuel Wilson is going to play, but he's an option. Like, they don't have to overwork Aaron Jones. And they haven't really had to overwork him for most of his career in Green Bay. So there may be more longevity there than you typically see from a running back. And if there's not, then the Packers will move on this upcoming offseason. That's just what it is. Like, we don't have to pretend that there are additional avenues here. It's kind of column A or column B, and that's it. Let, let you walked right into where I was going from this one, and that is to talk about Wilson versus Taylor. And that debate, a lot of people projecting their roster breakdowns, everything else, had Patrick Taylor making it. Some I saw had only two running backs making it, which I thought was insanity, but that was a possibility too. Very rarely did anybody have Wilson making it. And yesterday when it all happened, I was telling people close to me, I was like, I think they took Wilson because they view him as more of a potential running back of the future after Aaron Jones than actual special teams play or anything like that. And normally these 
bottom of the roster guys are all based on special teams. How good are they on special teams? Okay, they're better than player X. We're keeping him because we need him for special teams. Not going to play a whole bunch this year. Anyhow, I, I need him for Bisaccia. That move there to me was, I think they see Wilson and his ex- explosive type plays that he had and go, maybe he's more of that guy that can step up and, and be one of these guys going forward if we can continue to develop them over a year. Maybe I'm reading the room wrong, but that's how I looked at it. That's certainly possible. He obviously had a very productive preseason as a rusher. I would also point this out. The Packers have made two waiver claims uh, uh, going into Wednesday, right. and they have to resign their long snapper. So there are players who made that initial 53 who are not going to be on the 53 come week one. Emmanuel Wilson very well could be one of those players. And it doesn't mean he's out of Green Bay permanently. It could just be, hey, we think that there's a better chance that he's claimed off of waivers and one of these other guys if we do it now. Whereas if we wait a few days and teams are really just trying to you know, set their team and prepare for week one, it's more likely that he passes through. We can get him on the practice squad. I wouldn't be shocked if that's the case for Wilson. Like it, it may just be the case that this was, you know, a very like gamesmanship thing by the front office and not necessarily reflective of how they view uh, Emmanuel Wilson versus Patrick Taylor. Like Patrick Taylor was probably not getting claimed and he wasn't right. Emmanuel Wilson also probably not going to get claimed, but you can at least see it as a little more likely. Now, if the Packers were to waive him pretty likely that he gets or clears waivers and they can sign him back to the practice squad. Maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't. The point is, I, I don't know if we can make any long-term proclam- proclamations about Emmanuel Wilson at this stage because this is all roster type. This is all setting up the chessboard. We, we don't really know how the Packers view about these back-to-roster players, especially as you put it, the ones who may not be huge contributors in special teams. Th- this really feels like basic roster management, gamesmanship right now, and until further notice, that's all I'm going to view it as. It's funny, Jason, you bring this up. Talking with Jason B. Hershorn. Follow him on Twitter at by underscore JBH. Subscribe uh, to that uh, Leap newsletter. Check out the website as well. Uh, and again, don't forget to download Curtin Long on the Odyssey app or wherever you download your favorite podcast. And of course, streaming live on the Odyssey Sports YouTube page as well. All the uh, videos are there uh, long term. I was listening to Sirius XM radio uh, coming into work today uh, in the NFL network. And I don't remember who the heck was talking. It was a GM of some former GM or something. And he was telling a story about how he had a seventh round draft pick that made the 53 man roster. They tell him, all right. You're on the roster. He immediately, with some high-end car dealership, bought some luxury like sports car or whatever, uh, came back the next day and found out they were releasing him the very next day. And obviously was devastated at that point. And his point was, you know, just because you made the 53-man roster does not mean you're even there in week one. Nonetheless, means that you're there at the end of the season, still on the active 53-man roster. Uh, and that a lot of these players that are on this roster now are going to be turned over by the end of the season. So you see all these guys on Instagram and Twitter posting, oh, I'm on the 53-man roster, and they're celebrating, and they're all happy, and they should be. I just don't know how many of them realize that it could be a very short-lived dream for a lot of them. Yeah, and I don't want to take all the joy out of this for them. Like, you look at someone like Malik Keith, undrafted free agent, learns that he's going to make the 53. That's huge. No matter what happens from this point forward, that's huge. And I I just think that we need to sort of acknowledge the human element of this, right? Like a lot of these guys have dealt with a lot of adversity over the course of their lives. And now they're being told you made it to an NFL roster, a real 53 man NFL roster. So that, that I just think is, is worth saying. Now your point is still valid though. 
as we were discussing before with Emmanuel Wilson, these guys are not guaranteed spots on the roster, even though they've made the 53. Now, if they make it to week one, like actual week one game is played, it changes a little bit because then those salaries, the base salaries become guaranteed for the full season, no matter what happens. But we're not there yet, right? Like if one of these, you know, late round picks, a draft free agents, whatever, gets cut between now and the first game, you know, it's not that they can't jump on with another NFL team or return to the practice squad or whatever, but that base salary will not be guaranteed. And that's something that the Packers and other teams will factor into their decisions between now and the start of the actual season. Because if you can save money, even if it's marginal, you're probably going to do it. That's how all these teams operate. The Packers have done this with previous initial 53-man rosters before. And as I stated, there are other moves that we know are going to happen between now and week one. They have to have a long snapper on the roster. It is going to be Orzek, assuming I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, They're going to have to sign him, which means that someone currently on the 53 will not be there. They also made two waiver claims. Those guys are going to be on the 53-man roster. That means that there's two more spots that have to be opened up. So, yeah, you know, whether you're Emmanuel Wilson, one of these other direct free agents, maybe even someone like Royce Newman, you know, an 11th offensive lineman. I assume, we don't know for a fact, but I assume the last offensive lineman they decided to keep. That guy's position is very tenuous right now simply because there's so many players at his position. Even if he was playing the best football of his life, that would still be a, a rough situation for him. So this roster, to your point, is not truly set. It'll never really be set over the course of the season, but it is especially still in flux between now and week one in Chicago. What was the the surprise cut, if there was one for you, uh, that happened on Tuesday getting down to 53? Actually, I don't think there really was any surprising cuts. Uh, I look at like my 53-man uh, projection, of which 48 of the players that I had did indeed make the roster. You know, Orzek getting cut, I guess a surprise in the sense of we all penciled in three a players. Snapper. Yeah. A long snapper, yeah. A, a, a penciled them into the 53, but he's not really gone. It was just a maneuver so they could keep one more person, probably Luke Tanata, so they could convert him to IR after cut down and be able to return him later in the year. But, you know, he's not really gone. He's just not officially on the 53. I, I don't know if that counts in the same way. You know, they kept six edge rushers. That's kind of what I expected because Brenton Cox had made himself indispensable. Like if you put that guy in waivers, someone is claiming him and there wasn't anyone ahead of him that they were willing to sever ties with. So you keep six, you figure it out later. Maybe Jonathan Ford, but I had him on the 53 as well. So there weren't any real big surprises in terms of cuts. I, I was a little surprised that Royce Newman made it, but again, we don't know if he's really made it, made it yet. So We'll have to see how that shakes out, but for the most part, this is kind of what we expected. This is a roster that had a very clear image for the past three-plus weeks. Are you surprised they essentially kept four corners? Now, they claimed one today, obviously, and they claimed a tight end uh, as well, Ben Sims, who played at Baylor and was with the Vikings, but they also claimed a, a DB, too. That safety room is garbage, uh, and the corners, having only four corners, and one of which is Stokes, and again... They don't really give you any updates on the health of, of Stokes as far as when he's going to be back. I, I don't, I, I guess I'm concerned about depth at cornerback and I am concerned about just the safety position in general. Like if you told me they cut Savage, I wouldn't think any less of the secondary next year. If you told me they cut Rudy Ford, I probably wouldn't think any less of the secondary uh, for the upcoming season. Anybody would have get, gets cut in that safety room and go, okay. Yeah. 
it's not going to be earth shattering. It's not going to change my opinion of their record at the end of the season. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong on the safety position, but it's just not good. And the depth at corner now keeping four also concerns me, especially when one guy, we don't even know when he's going to play. So let's put these in a buckets and let's start with the corners. Yep. There are plenty of situations where you may only have four corners active on game day, even if you have more on the roster. So that by itself isn't super worrisome. We don't know when Eric Stokes is going to return, yep. but we know when he isn't going to return. He's first on four weeks, right? First four weeks, minimum first four games. He is going to miss. Now he may come back right after that, but those are still four weeks that you have to manage. Now they clearly feel good among other things, about the seventh-round rookie, Carrington Valentine. I wrote about him at the Leap, tried to figure out why he almost went undrafted. You talk about guys who barely got drafted. He was like 20, 30 picks away from being a UDFA. And kind of what I was able to figure out talking to my contacts around the league is that he sort of like didn't go to the wrong program in the sense of like it's bad to be in Kentucky, and it definitely is not the case. It's a great developmental program, but he sort of went to the wrong program for being an early entry into the draft. You know, he spent only three years at Kentucky and then declared that's something that almost never happens. They've only had, I, th I think I looked it up, since the turn of the century, seven players who left after less than four seasons played from Kentucky that got drafted. And one of those was a supplemental player. He was not expecting to miss his final season of college he was just forced into it by the ncaa so this is a player that a lot of teams especially in that sort of preseason scouting period where you have blesto and national football scouting doing those initial reports he got a preferred free agent grade that was probably just perfunctory because no one expected him to declare after the 2022 season so he kind of looks like that very rare these days diamond in the rough who not that he's actually gonna be a superstar but a playable cornerback as a seventh round rookie you know they have with him, multiple guys can play the boundary. They're pretty comfortable at this point with Keyshawn Nixon in the slot, and they've played Rizul Douglas there in the past. Jair Alexander obviously can play there as well because he can play anything you ask him to. So I don't think it's an issue a corner before Eric Stokes comes back just because of all the flexibility they have. Now let's go to safety. Totally different story. There really is no ideal outcome here because Darnell Savage, a player who performed so poorly in 2022 that he got benched for a long stretch, is the one quote-unquote sure thing in that group. Like yep. Rudy, Rudy Ford, we think, is going to be the week one starter next to uh, Darnell Savage. But like that could change. And even if he starts a week one, it could be someone entirely different in week two. Like there will probably be changes to that safety room over the course of the season just because they don't have anyone in that group that they can trust. And even if they're not a Super Bowl contender in 2023, they want to be competitive. So I, I think that room is going to see a lot of change between now and the end of the regular season. The guy that they picked up off of waivers, the defensive back, Zane Anderson, is probably going to see more action at safety, but really he's a special teamer. Like that, That's not a role that I think at this point they anticipate him playing, but you know, that situation can change too, right? Like Rudy Ford was claimed off waivers last year as a special teamer, ended up being, at least for a time, a starting safety in 2022 and is going to be, we think, a starting safety in 2023. So all of that says that safety room is going to be a mess in all likelihood for the foreseeable future. And I, I think between the end of this season and the start of 2024, it is going to have an entirely different set of personnel because no one in that group is signed other than the rookie, Anthony Johnson, beyond this season. Why wouldn't they, and I'm going to be fan guy here, why wouldn't they just go get Buda Baker? Give up the pick that you have to give up and just go at least get one good safety that can maybe help out whoever is playing next to him 
in that secondary? My answer to that question, if I let you answer is because they don't care about winning this year. This is not about winning. This is about developing all your young guys and we'll play to win in like 2025 is my guess. Two years from now is when you'll see them actually get aggressive to go get veterans to fill holes to try and really make a run here. Now, if they win nine, 10 games, good. He'll be ecstatic. Like, okay, that's way better than we thought, but they're fully ready to have Carlson miss kicks, Love make mistakes. Wide receivers running the wrong routes, causing uh, fiasco mistakes. They're ready for all of that, and they're willing to take the bumps as they go. And I think that's why they're not. They don't have a veteran plays kicker. Why they're okay going forward with all these young guys at wide receiver being short at tight end. I know they just got this kid from Baylor, but still, you still don't have that veteran tight end in that room. That I think everybody wanted. That that's my reasoning of why they don't get Buda Baker. But I'm sure there's more to it. I'm glad you brought up Buda Baker because Pierre Bukowski, my co-founder at The Leap, just wrote about this this morning Perfect. after the Jonathan Taylor like trade report. Jonathan Taylor, as we have already discussed, is going to cost a lot if you're even hypothetically truly interested, and he doesn't really move the needle enough to justify that cost, especially for a team that, as you accurately put it in my view, isn't really playing to compete in 2023. Buda Baker is a different story for a variety of reasons. One... It is a position that this particular team needs a lot more help at. You know, running back is not an issue. It's a strength for this team as it is. Safety, weakest part of the roster. Certainly the weakest part of the defense. So you're addressing a weakness there. Buda Baker is someone who can be a longer-term part of this team than someone, you know, at the same age at other positions. Like he's 27. You know, that's not super young, but at a safety, you can play into your 30s. You know, Adrian Amos played extremely well until maybe his last season in Green Bay when he was at the other side of 30. You can get several good seasons out of him in all likelihood. And it's probably going to cost less than what it would cost to get Jonathan sure. Taylor. So you add all the things together, and that's the kind of deal that makes more sense if they're going to make that kind of deal. And Peter's point, and I think it's worth repeating here, is they don't have to do any of these kind of deals right now with you know and, and still do them in 2023 like there's a lot of time between now and the trade deadline you know those assets whether those are draft picks those are players they're not really changing between now and then if the packers are let's say in october and it doesn't look like it's a total rebuilding year it looks like hey in this nfc in this nfc north in particular they can be competitive then maybe that's when you say okay can we make a move that makes helps the team now and in the future and is Buda Baker still available? And chances are, if he hasn't been traded, he's going to be available because the Arizona Cardinals are committed to hashtag the plan. Yep. If you know, you know. So you can make a move like that. Or let's say it's something else. Let's say, and Peter brought this up in the article, what if the situation with uh, Stefan Diggs and the Bills totally blows up between now and the trade deadline? Well, Diggs is an older player, but guess what? He can still be valuable to the Packers or to a lot of teams at this point in his career. You can trade an asset for a distressed property there. You know, there's a lot of ways that the Packers can make moves that are more aggressive than it appears like they're going to be, and they just don't have to make them right now. So I don't think those are options that are totally off the table. I don't expect them to happen, you know, between now and week one. But if we're sitting here in mid-October and the Packers look actually competitive in a real way, you know, Jordan Love looks like he might be maybe not a superstar, but at least a franchise quarterback. And the defense is starting to put things together, but the safety group is still an issue. Moving for Buda Baker in that situation makes a lot more sense than anything we're discussing now with Jonathan Taylor. And again, the perfect time to do that would be going into that bye week. What is their bye week? Mm -hmm. Week six, I think, or something week like six, that? Week six, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you've got one or two losses going into your bye week and you're rolling 
and everybody's feeling good about themselves. There you go. You go in the bye week, you bring him in, you help him learn the defense over that bye week, and then going into that next week, uh, and you move forward from there. Now, again, do I think this is going to happen? I don't, because this is not how good he works normally. But we'll see. We'll see how this whole thing plays out going forward. All right, uh, one last thing for you, and we'll wrap it up. Uh, what more do you think they do between now and week one, if anything? I think they're going to have to make a few moves, not along the offensive line in terms of any of the guys at the top. Like their starting five appear set, their top backups appear set. But I think part of the reason that they kept 11 offensive linemen, I mean, one of them we think is destined for IR, so that's going to happen at some point between now and then. But I think it's possible that we see an offensive lineman trade where they take one of their excess pieces that they really can't do anything with at this point. Like Royce Newman, I've been talking about this at the league for months now. I mean, really dating back to like October of last year. If he's not going to be a part of your offensive line in a meaningful way, if he's not one of the starters, and obviously he's not, if he's not one of the top reserves, and at this point it's very clear that he's not, but he's still better than a lot of starting offensive linemen in the league, and I at least think that's an argument that teams are going to make, you can trade him for a draft pick. And that doesn't help you in 2023, but can that be a meaningful contribution next offseason? Yeah, it can. And we've seen them do this before. You know, They traded Cole Van Laden like around this time in, I think it was 2020 or 2021, for a draft pick because they just knew that they weren't going to have space for him, but he actually held real value to other teams. Newman has more experience than Cole Van Lennon ever did. Newman has been a full season starter at right guard. He has been a replacement starter at right tackle. There's versatility there. So even if he's picked up a lot of penalties in the preseason, even if he's made a lot of mistakes, all of that is true. Guess what? There's still a lot of bad offensive line starters in the league. And I think that if they dangle him out there, they can probably find a late round pick for him. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. I would be amazed if that happened and very, very happy. Uh, Jason B. Hershorn, follow him on Twitter at by underscore JBH, PFWA member, Pro Football Writers of America member and co-founder of the Leap Newsletter. Uh, tell everybody again how they do that. Yeah, go to theleap.football, sign up. We have all this new content coming out starting week one, five days a week. So it's going to be Peter and I producing everything, looking at the Packers in a way that, again, I don't think they are normally looked at. This is not, you know, clickbait fodder. We are digging into the real nitty gritty. If you're a fan who already knows what happened, but you want to know the why and the how of what happened, the leap.football is the place for you. There you go. Go sign up today. Be a part of that. As always, a pleasure talking to Jason B. Hershorn. Hey, Jason, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Sparky.